Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. We found a window Thursday to record a podcast in the middle of a big recruiting stretch for Notre Dame football. Four-star wide receiver Cam Williams committed to Notre Dame's 2024 class Wednesday night. Four-star offensive tackle Charles Jagusa committed to ND's 2023 class Thursday morning. And uh, the Irish are waiting for decisions from four-star cornerbacks Micah Bell and Christian Gray and four-star wide receiver Rico Flores Jr. in the coming days. And then right before we hit record, uh, the news the reported from John Wilner uh, is that USC and UCLA is considering joining the Big Ten. So all kinds of things going on here. Uh, but in the middle of all that, we, we wanted to bring on our own five-star guest, and that's Jessica Smetana, who has nothing to do with recruiting or USC or UCLA. Uh, Jessica is a Notre Dame graduate, a prolific podcast producer and host for Metal Arc Media and DraftKings and a self-appointed meme lord. Uh, her podcast work includes the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gatz, Off the Looking Glass, Go Looking Smetty, DNF, and I'm probably forgetting something else there. But Jessica, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I think you hit all the big ones. And yeah, I don't have anything to do with USC or UCLA. I am just a, a big USC hater having grown up a Notre Dame fan. So I, I think you could put that on my resume too. Before we get into the USC, UCLA stuff, let, I want to talk about the uh, Golic Subpar Classic, which you participated in as, as a celebrity. So congrats on that. Thank uh, you. And, and you also won the closest to the pin award. Have you figured out a spot where you're going to put that trophy? Uh, well, I actually have it right here with me. It's It's been next to me every everywhere I've gone for the last four days. So yeah, I got a little piece of hardware here. Uh, has like the, the Golic family uh, four-leaf clover crest, I guess, on it. Um, but yeah, I probably won't let this thing out of my sight. <laughs> yeah, for those who may have missed my coverage, the Subpar Classic was a two-day charity event uh, hosted by the Golic family to raise money for four, four local South Bend charities. Um, and Jessica, who hosts a podcast with Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., excuse me, uh, was was one of the celebrities. What? How cool of an experience was that for you? It was awesome. Yeah, they they did such a great job with it. The um, the event was to raise money for four South Bend community charities: the Logan Center, the South Bend Center for the Homeless, um, the Food Bank, and I believe the local South Bend Animal Shelter. So Mike says that they don't have a final tally yet, but they think they raised at least, you know, $100,000 or more. And uh, a lot of local Notre Dame, local and non-local Notre Dame celebrities showed up. Brady Quinn was in town. I think he lives like in Florida now. Um, Marcus Freeman, who obviously lives just down the down the road, was, in, was there for it. Uh, Tommy Reese, um, Reggie Brooks. It was just like a, a really great, group of mostly Notre Dame football people past and present and uh, it was really cool to be able to meet some of them I got to talk to Muffet McGraw for a bit on Monday at the event I'm a big fan of hers she's been on my show with Kate Fagan off the looking glass um, and yeah it was just a, a really great time the weather was perfect uh, I don't think the weather has had ever been that nice in my years at Notre Dame as a student um, so I, I really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun Jessica, um, the, starting these events seems like the biggest hassle when you're trying to get momentum with it and, and so forth. How how do you feel like they were able to pull all that together? Because once you got momentum, then people are coming back. They know what it is and so forth. So how did you feel like the first year of this went? I thought it went really well. I think the Golics are such... Uh friendly and outgoing group like their family just has so many connections and friends i think they were really able to lean on their network to help kind of make it special and get people to travel and and attend it and so you know credit to them for just being so uh you know just such charmers you know you can't really say no when mike asked you like when when mike reached out to me and was like we want you to be a, a celebrity golfer in the event i it was just a no-brainer i was like i'm so there and and they also gave us a really nice swag bag so <laughs> shout out to that too it's uh sitting also right behind me i got like a nice little uh golic quarter zip and a bag and everything you, you mentioned that Marcus Freeman was at the event. Was that your first time meeting him? And what was that experience like? 
Yes, it was my first time meeting him. Uh, it was so my my parents both went to Notre Dame. They're both class of '82 grads. They were just besides the beside themselves meeting Marcus and Brady Quinn and and Tommy and all these other people that were there. Um, and it was it was nice. Marcus had actually come on my show with Mike Golick and Smeddy like two weeks ago, um, and we had talked about the the candy dish he has in his office. So he came up to to us and was was laughing that we were we were saying you know we were kind of making fun of his candy dish because I, I didn't think it was a very good one um <laughs> he has apparently he has like only two colors starbursts and and then like lint truffles i think the lint truffles kind of save it but the starbursts to me kind of a waste of space in the candy bowl but um yeah so it was my first time meeting him like super friendly guy super nice very generous with his time wasn't weirded out with my dad being a total fanboy. Uh, so yeah, really, really nice uh, meeting him. You know, I was in his office on Monday and it looks like he's still kind of decorating in there. So give the candy dish some time. I, I mentioned <laughs> my story. His son, Nico, had given him a little potted plant and he was kind of looking and noticing that he hadn't watered it in a while. And wondering if he asked me if he should water it. And to me, it looked like that question should have been answered three days prior. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, keeping plants alive is hard. It's probably not not that easy in an office either. I don't know what the lighting situation is like, but you got to kind of listen to the nice. plant. And you got to put good vibes into the room. I've heard that plants can like absorb your mm -hmm. energy that you put out into the world. Don't know if that's true. Saw it on TikTok. But, you know, if, if he's having <laughs> like nice, friendly meetings, I, I think the plant will be happy. It'll stay alive. Well, he needs to keep the media out of there then if they want good vibes. <laughs> um, so, so he's been on the job, you know, since early December. So we're talking, you know, seven months now, basically. Is he, is he kind of turning into the coach you thought from your first impressions when he was named to, and, and what you knew of him as a defensive coordinator? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you guys obviously are the are the recruiting experts, but it seems like in that regard, he's certainly delivered with some big signings so far. I think he's someone who seems like a pretty even, steady presence. Um, every kind of interview I've heard him give and and press conference and everything, he's just seemed pretty um, relaxed and feels that you know seems like he's in charge. I think the, the only thing that you could you could knock him for was the uh, Ohio State controversy of two weeks ago i don't even know if that's worth like calling a controversy because it was so stupid and, and minor but um yeah to me he just he just seems like a very even steady stable presence and he's uh someone that people want to play for so they're signing on to play at notre dame yeah i think i think marcus has probably sworn to himself that he's not going to mention the name ohio state for a few months now <laughs> because it seems like every time he does he, he gets himself in trouble with the ohio state fan base whether or not it's deserved or not. Um, you mentioned sort of being excited about that. I mean, there seems to be a lot of excitement within the fan base with the Marcus Freeman hire, partially because of the recruiting and, and, and the reception that, that Notre Dame's players had to him. Well, how would you describe what your excitement level is going into the season? Are you more of a cautiously optimistic fan or someone who is pessimistic? How would you describe what, what you're expecting in the 2022 season? I would say I'm definitely cautiously optimistic, but I also am I'm, I, I'm a realist. Like I try to have realistic expectations so that I'm not disappointed if, you know, Notre Dame finishes with four losses or, or something like that. I, I kind of feel like that's that would be a, a fine season for a first season head coach. I think it'd be really disappointing for fans and, and what fans have gotten used to over the last five seasons or so. But yeah, I, I'm optimistic, but I also think like this season isn't going to be the season that we need to decide what the future is or if, if Notre Dame is in good hands or if Marcus Freeman's the real deal or anything like that. I think with any first-year head coach, you need to just kind of let them um, – let them learn, let them grow. Like I know the expectations are so high at Notre Dame and that's often not how it works, but I think there were some, some really promising things that we saw in the Fiesta Bowl. And I know that the, the staff wasn't even fully in place yet, but there were also some things that were cause for concern. And so if Notre Dame fans are going to be 
really excited for Marcus Freeman's upside. I think they need to also be patient with some of the down the downside of having a coach who hasn't been, you know, a head coach on the sidelines yet for a for a game or for even, a, you know, for a full season or even for just a game. Jessica, I'm curious if you're keeping track of how much crawfish Brian Kelly's eating these days. <laughs> and uh, and 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 just kind of what you're kind of in retrospect now that we're kind of you know, half a year removed from him. If if your opinion about him has changed at all, maybe in the last few months. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't. I didn't really ever. I I'm still surprised. Let's put it that way. I'm still surprised at what happened, given everything that's happened in college football since. Um, I probably shouldn't be, because it is just a a symptom of like this really crazy you know, blown up college football landscape that we've, we've been watching, you know, I, and we'll probably get to the, to USC, UCLA thing in a bit, but, um, no, I think Brian Kelly has always kind of been Brian Kelly. He's always been, you know, interested in what Brian Kelly wants. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like everyone kind of has to look out for their own self-interest at times. And some of the things that he's been saying in press conferences that people have taken, you know, umbrage with, like we, we saw that as Notre Dame fans for years, right? Like he kind of always would say things and get himself in trouble. Like I'm thinking specifically last season when he, he made the awful, you know, very poorly delivered joke about executing the players after the Florida (laughs) state game, like that Notre Dame fans had kind of gotten used to that. And like his kind of corny sense of humor and, you know, some of like some of the times that he would snap at reporters like in I think 2016 it was uh he he had a press conference where he kind of snapped back at a reporter and I just you know Notre Dame fans had just kind of accepted it and and known you know Brian Brian Kelly was kind of just like a known commodity and I don't think a lot of those things really extended beyond the Notre Dame you know fandom walls and so now he's on a bigger scale because he has made that big move to LSU and a lot more people who maybe weren't watching Brian Kelly press conferences or interviews are hearing him and getting to know him. And I think he's kind of just the same guy, um, but with a different audience. And a different accent. Oh, and a different accent. Yeah. I mean, we, we will never forget. <laughs> That's one of the things I'm most curious about with Marcus Freeman. Like we don't know what Marcus Freeman mad looks like. We, we don't, we haven't really right. experienced that. Um, we certainly experienced that with Brian Kelly. <laughs> I think the, the instant you're, mentioning in 2016 was when I think it was Lakin Littman at the time colleagues. Yeah. At the Indy star, she was, uh, she asked something about how they kept losing one score games. And he said, he said something like, well, there was only a one point game. It's like, well, that's still a one score game, Brian. He was, he was like jumping on her for, and he was wrong. He wasn't even right. in like him him clarifying what she said. So um, I'm sort of curious how Marcus Freeman handles that. And I think that's something, I mean, obviously not everything's going to be good at Notre Dame. There's going to be, adversity there I mean I'd like to think he's probably knows how to knows what to do in those moments but there's probably a different heat at Notre Dame than there has been at different times in his career yeah I'm not sure I think like what what always bothered a lot of fans about Brian Kelly was where he placed his anger and a lot of times it would seem to come out at players during games on the sidelines and you know obviously the Brian Kelly purple face memes were something that like Notre Dame fans would see everywhere. It was, it would be like the cover photo for every story. If a national outlet was writing about him, there were blogs written about it. Um, Sometimes, like I said, his anger would appear to be with journalists and, you know, as a member of the media, like that's something that I'm sensitive to. Like I I wouldn't want someone to talk to me that way. Um, So I guess it kind of will just depend like where the frustrations bubble over and where they come out because I'm sure you're right I'm sure there are going to be negative things that happen it's college football it's like there's a scandal per minute in college football (laughs) um but hopefully like hopefully he kind of learns from some of those mistakes and he it won't be taken out on people that I I see as kind of uh blameless in a lot of those situations (laughs) well let's jump into this USC UCLA Pac-12 to Big Ten thing wow so I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, um, not just the, the logistics, but I guess from your standpoint, Jessica, do you feel like we're just this is just the first step into more of these kind of shocking moves that we might see in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, well, I guess this isn't really the first step, right? Because I think right. uh, Oklahoma and Texas moving right. to the SEC would, would kind of be the first step in realignment. So uh, I guess this is just surprising because geographically, like it, <laughs> it really is confusing. So I know like I've seen, I, I've seen people already dispute this, but if these teams are going like UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten, for football, I can see it working and I can see it making sense because you play, you know, six-ish away games per season, right? So there's going to be six games where you're probably going to be traveling a, a decent bit. And and those schools are all, are already kind of far-ish from some of the other schools in the Pac-12, but not quite as far as traveling, obviously, to like Maryland or Ohio State or Rutgers or whatever, some of the farther Big Ten schools. But for like the, you know, non-football sports who have longer seasons and are going to be doing a lot more of the traveling for conference games, like it just seems like they, the conferences don't care or the administrators don't care, right? Because they're just going to get so much more money in joining the Big Ten as the Big Ten negotiates its new television deal that the burden that it puts on the actual athletes it just doesn't really matter to them, I guess. And maybe, you know, I don't think I'm being cynical because I think that that is kind of apparent uh, at this point. But I do wonder how it's just like logistically going to work. And I, it also, you know, it is so strange to think of the new rivalries, I guess, that maybe we'll see or rivalries that we won't see anymore. And, and so that is something that I think fans might be upset about. But like, honestly, who who are USC's biggest rivals, right? Notre Dame. That, and that's not gonna. That's <laughs> probably not gonna change. Yeah. Like and they'll you, probably and UCLA, UCLA. Exactly. The like they'll they'll probably they'll definitely still get to play UCLA. I mean, I was joking about this on Twitter, but you know the US or uh, the ACC is moving to like the pod scheduling, uh, you know, thing where they're gonna have like three teams that they play every year and then rotate out with yep. the rest of the conference. I wonder what that's gonna look like for the Big Ten because none of these schools have much of a relationship with UCLA and USC. So who's going to end up in their uh, yeah, I guess scheduling Nebraska? pods? Yeah, Nebraska, right. Nebraska, I guess. <laughs> exactly. It's just so, it's just so bizarre. It just feels so foreign and, and new. And I'm, I'm sure in 10 years, it'll be like, we forgot what it was like when they were in the PAC 12, because that's kind of how it works. We just accept it and move on. But it, it is just, it feels so strange now just hearing the news break for the first time. Yeah. And I like, like we talked about like Texas and Oklahoma moving to the sec was probably the first step. This seems like the second step. So what's, what's next after this? I mean, mm -hmm. Oregon would seem to be the one that is impacted the most in, in terms of football, because that seems right. to be the program that's on the verge of trying to be like a PAC 12 power, but now does anyone want to be a PAC 12 power? Uh, is that conference going to be in it for the long run? Um, and then sort of, where does everyone go from there? Um, and then yeah, obviously from an, Florida state and Miami too. Yeah. And then obviously from the Notre Dame perspective, like, does this end up, does the long game of this end up forcing Notre Dame into some sort of conference? I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems to be as long as the, Notre Dame can still get into the football playoff and can still have places for the rest of its other uh, athletic programs to play in, in a conference, then I don't know that Notre Dame's hand will be forced, but Right. Who knows what what comes of all of this? What, what what's your sort of perspective on that, Jessica? Do you, do you think what do you what is your thoughts on Notre Dame potentially joining a conference if it has to, and what what would make them do that? Yeah, well, I don't think necessarily this forces Notre Dame to join a conference, but I do think as the conferences get bigger and bigger and potentially more powerful, it could end up forcing Notre Dame to join one of them, and it seems like the big 10 would be a better fit um, for football. I, I, for the rest of the sports, like I think for basketball, make staying in the ACC makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know about, I, I guess I can't say for the rest of the, of the sports without thinking about it a little bit harder, but as long as Notre Dame is so like the, the question will be the gap in revenue between whatever the big 10 ends up negotiating what these two schools added on and what, you know, Notre Dame can get as an independent. And if the gap gets so big that it just doesn't make any sense for Notre Dame to stay independent, I could see them joining a conference. And just like you said, if they get frozen out of the playoff, they will certainly join a conference uh, for football. So 
I don't know. I guess I'm not I'm not thinking about it yet, but it it it, do, it definitely does make it seem harder and harder for Notre Dame to stay independent if those things are going to change. Right, and you kind of wonder what the next TV negotiation for Notre Dame is going to be like. Yeah. So. But uh yeah, wow. Lots lots and lots of changes uh um Je- Jessica, let's let's get your thoughts a little bit too on NIL and the direction that that's been going. Um, do you feel like you know it, tomorrow is the one year anniversary of NIL? Do you feel like all in all it's been a good thing for college sports in the first year, or, or and what would you like to see maybe changed? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know. Uh... I don't know how you define if it's good for college sports. I think it's probably bad for college sports administrators and and governing bodies, but it's probably good Mm -hmm. for college athletes. Um, And I don't know, like, I think you kind of have to separate the two because what's good for one is probably really bad for the other. And that's why we have the situation to to begin with. But um, I've seen a lot of reporters and and media people call for, and, and specifically coaches call for regulating NIL and, um, providing some sort of of like guidance because I think there are legitimate there's legitimate arguments to be made for you know trying to protect athletes and make sure they're not getting scammed or whatever but I don't necessarily think that those people have always had athletes best interests at heart so I don't know if you can trust them when now they want to impose some sort of guidance or, or guidelines and I think as crazy as it sounds to hear like Arch Manning is getting you know x amount of millions of dollars to to sign on at texas or whatever whoever the recruit is uh it's also just like a reminder that the way the reason that these things are the way that they are is because the ncaa you know fumbled it for so for so long and didn't see this coming or saw it coming and wanted congress to fix it for the ncaa so they were super reactive in in like responding to it and created the crisis that we have now. And so I'm really hesitant to change anything that would take money away from the players with when this is like the only mechanism that they have to get paid right now. Um, and without, you know, without the players having like a players union or a way to kind of bargain with the powers that be over what protections they can and can't have. Like, I just, I just think like, we're all kind of like, we all kind of exist in this new world and have to figure it out from here. And I, I, I just am very wary of anyone taking away that power from the athletes that they finally have. Uh, speaking of NIL, are you keeping a close eye on Golden Cane, Mike Ryan, and, and what improper <laughs> things that, that the Miami <laughs> Athletics Department might be might be overseeing? Yeah, so so yes. I, I guess maybe I should explain for people who don't listen to the Levitard show that our show's based in Miami and we have a a Miami booster uh on our show with us and he is always spreading the gospel of Miami football. Um and there has been a lot of Miami uh recruiting stuff in the news. I think like the two most recent newsworthy NIL stories both involved Miami. One was a Miami basketball player who threatened to transfer, I guess. And then Miami's big booster, John Ruiz, was like, he's under contract, tweeted that he was under contract or something like that. Am I getting this right? Yeah, yeah, Tyler? So. yeah. And then most recently, there was a recruit who signed at Miami and then um, I, you know, said he was getting $8 million or someone said he was getting $8 million. And then this other attorney oh. said that he left, you know, millions of dollars on the table. If he had gone to Florida, he would have been paid more. And then he disputed <laughs> that. And then there was like a whole message board blow up with Florida fans anyways. So yeah, Miami has been in the news a lot for all of these NIL things. And as much as I despise Miami's football team, like I am glad these guys are getting paid. I don't think that there's anything that Miami is doing that other schools probably aren't also doing, but I do think like Miami's uh, main booster, like tweeting about it and having like a vocal, you know, presence and being part of like the news cycle probably is why the NCAA is trying to zero in on them now and be like, Hey, what the hell's going on down there? What are you guys yeah. doing? Like, we're going to come down and talk to you. Cause something, something smells fishy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to be from the Miami 
standpoint, they have like this persecution complex. But I, I think when, when they're handling things the way it's been handled, I think they've sort of forced the NCAA's hand. They can't just sort of look the other way with some of the things that have been pretty out in the open, although not necessarily everything that gets reported ends up being true. Right, of course. Yeah, and, and you're right. Miami fans do, they have like, admittedly, they have a persecution complex. And Mm-mm. so do Notre Dame fans so I like I I do hear them out I'm like I right. get it like, you yeah guys yeah Notre Dame's like by... we, we, we had to give up wins because of a tutor like <laughs> right yeah like we, you know you guys have have gotten in, in trouble in the past with the NCAA so have we we get it I I don't like you guys but I I hear what you're saying I also think that you're you know a, a little a little loud and crazy down there but so are we so it's fine uh, put your Notre Dame football analyst hat on for us real quick. What, who are some of the players that you're most excited to see this upcoming season? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Tyler Buckner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that too obvious an answer? No, no, no. I think it's fair. No, that's definitely, I, th- I think we all are. And especially after you didn't get to play in the blue gold game. Everyone's who, like, oh. who's yeah. Who's like the hipster pick for, for me for the next time someone asks me that. Uh, Maris Leofau, I think it's the, uh, hipster, yeah. Yeah, the hipster pick. Answer. Yeah, because he, he was hurt last year. So everyone True. was expecting big things from him last year, but he didn't get to show that. So I would say that's probably a pretty good one. Riley Mills, maybe. Blake even Fisher, more. maybe? Blake Fisher. Yeah, everyone loves Blake Fisher. He, he's, he's, he's a good pick, too. Okay. Because um, he, he was hurt last year. Yeah, I'm so those, are, those are all good ones. There's, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot to lot to look forward to. And it's, if, you want a, if you want a freshman, Jaden Mickey. Okay. There you yeah, go. yeah, he he'll the, let you know. He was the hype. Yeah, he's a big talker. He's a cornerback. Uh, yeah, he uh, he's pretty brash. So and he, he's a good kid. So I think uh, he'll, he'll have a lot of fans uh, in the near future. Um, where where can Notre Dame fans and anyone else find you on social media and listen to any of your podcasts? I imagine the Golik and Smetty podcast is probably the one that Irish fans would be interested in the most. Yes, definitely. Golik and Smetty. Uh, we we talk a lot about Notre Dame, Notre Dame football. We had Trey Mancini on to talk about the College World Series a few weeks ago. Um, but I think as football season starts going again, like we are going to be all in on Notre Dame football this season. Mike is obviously a, a former player and a great resource for all things Notre Dame. He also can give you like a nice historic perspective on things. That's that's the kind way of me calling him old. Um, <laughs> so check out Golag and Smetty if you're a Notre Dame fan. But yes, you can also check me out on uh, Twitter. My handle is at Jessica underscore Smetana. And uh, Instagram, TikTok, I, I TikTok also now. Um, my other podcast, like you mentioned at the top of the show, Off the Looking Glass with Kate Fagan. You could, you should definitely check out our interview with Muffet McGraw from December if you're interested in women's basketball. And DNF, yeah, you, a Formula you guys, One podcast, uh, and the Levitard show. You guys <laughs> caused a little bit of a storm with Muffet McGraw on the podcast, right? Yeah, we sure did. Uh, Muffet <laughs> came on and she's talked about, you know, UConn bias in, uh, oh, yeah. in women's basketball coverage. And Gino had some very very choice words about that uh after he heard it so you should definitely check that out that all originated on our show i still feel bad about it i don't think muffet cares she she's (laughs) muffet but i was like oh my god this is did not intend to cause a controversy here (laughs) no muffet muffet and gino not getting along is like the sun rising that's just that the world is in balance if that if that's what's happening yep so yeah definitely check that out (laughs) all right well we really appreciate you joining us jessica and best of luck in all your podcast ventures Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. Now it's time for questions. Our question segment is now powered by Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board for every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Rhino1134 on the Insider Lounge. With Dante Moore pretty much out of the picture, what does Notre Dame do in 2023 if CJ Carr stays in the 2024 class? Are there any legitimate quarterback options that they are actively involved with right now? Um, they're reaching out to some people. 
that are either close to committing or already have committed elsewhere just to maybe keep the um, keep keep things warm a little bit. They're going to have to flip somebody. There's not an uncommitted quarterback, I think, at this point, uh, other than Brock Glenn, who is on the verge of a decision. So there's not an uncommitted kid that's not on the verge of the of a decision that I think is suitable for the 2023 class. I know um, Austin Novosad, who's a Baylor commit, is a guy that a few including Notre Dame has some interest in Ohio state, Texas A&M also are um, talking to him about, you know, maybe taking a visit and uh, thinking about decommitting from Baylor. Um, Kyle Kelly, our recruiting guy brought up JJ Cole, who's out at the elite 11. He's an Iowa state commit um, six foot five kid with a big arm. Um, That may be a possibility of somebody they want to get involved with. But it's going to be kind of a, again, if CJ doesn't uh, decide or Notre Dame and CJ don't decide on this until August, I mean, it's going to be a small window of trying to get to know each other, trying to convince somebody. Uh, But those would be the leads, I think, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. They have to pursue someone. They can't, they can't sit out, sit out the 2023 class if, if CJ Carr stays in the 2024 class. Um, and to sp- some numbers to, to speak to what you're getting at with the guys that are either co- committed or close to committing. Uh, as of today, Thursday, uh, the top 25 pro style quarterbacks in the 23, 2023 class, only five of them are currently undecided. Um, and then only two of the top 10 dual threat quarterbacks are uncommitted to. Uh, so, so, I mean, in my opinion, any movement for Notre Dame is happening behind the scenes right now. Uh, when you're trying to poach a recruit, that doesn't necessarily always get publicized as much. Um, I, I haven't been informed exactly who they're going, who who their like next plan is. So I think we're in a bit of a holding pattern. I think there's, like you mentioned, some of the names that I think would make sense for Notre Dame to go after and has had contact with previously. Um, but the dead period sort of put things on hold because you can't have anyone visit until July 25th now. So um, this will likely go into the season. Um, and then Notre Dame is going to have to try to get kids to maybe come for a, a game visit and see how it goes from there. The, the prospects for 2024, if he reclassifies, are, are, are better. But, you know, Julian Sands not going to come, I don't think, to Notre Dame, even though he had a lot of interest if if Carr is in the 2023 class and some of the other kids that are elite that Notre Dame had been in contact with, they're getting close to decisions. I think uh, I got asked this in my live chat yesterday and, and Kyle Kelly and I talked about a little bit. He was my phone, a friend. um, And his thought was that Notre Dame would be more interested in some ascending kind of prospects uh, like uh, the kids that came to the, other than CJ Carr, the kids that came to the Irish invasion that are just now kind of picking up steam with their uh, offers and such. All right. Next question we have is from Christopher Cruz at Chris ND 92. It seems like all the talk is about CJ reclassifying that would put a quarterback in the 23 class, but is that the best thing for CJ's development and best for ND's interest? Um, I think playing with, and this is Christopher talking, I think playing with his high school team will help him more than scout team not playing at Notre Dame. You know, if it were my son, I would say stay in the 24 class. Um, I think, you know, finishing out high school, coming to Notre Dame as a 19-year-old freshman rather than an 18-year-old freshman, I think it's going to make him more ready and, and he's going to be more needed in 2024. Um, so I think it's better for Notre Dame that he reclassifies, reclassifies. I think it's better for CJ if he does not. Yeah, I think that's kind of my perspective too. But even from Notre Dame's point of view, I don't love the idea of your two biggest quarterback recruits being Tyler Booker and CJ Carr coming to Notre Dame with less high school experience than they could have had. Um, right. That seems to be a bit precarious. Now, obviously, it's not like insurmountable or anything like that. 
Um, and I do believe CJ Carr would be in a much better position than Buckner was because Buckner was both limited by injury and a COVID season cancellation. Um, whereas Carr would be coming off of his uh, playing through his junior season. Um, but I, I, it just sort of seems like somewhat of a cop-out for another day. Like they they've missed on the 23, 2023 class. Um, and that's why, what would be the impetus for him reclassifying rather than what's best for him. Um, so it doesn't mean it can't be successful, but it, the sort of the, the reasoning behind it makes me wonder if it's, if it's worth the pursuit of. Our next question is from OK underscore thanks on the Insider Lounge. Is Notre Dame putting way too many eggs in the CJ car basket? He is 17 and kids decommit often. No, I don't think so. And I, I think if if he were to decommit, you know, there would certainly be time to uh, look for somebody else in the 2024 class. Um, and, you know, they've really vetted him pretty well. You know, they wanted to make sure that he knew that Tommy Reese leaving either before he even arrived at Notre Dame or early in his career is a probably, you know, at least a possibility, if not a probability. So, and, and this is the way quarterbacks commit, you know, other than Dante Moore, they're usually <laughs> kind of way ahead of the curve in terms of timeline and so forth. So uh, I, I think Notre Dame is doing the right thing. I don't think that they got, uh, you know, that they got their eggs messed up. Yeah. I mean, I think he, I mean, you could make the argument that Notre Dame put all its eggs in the basket of Dante Moore and shouldn't have done that. But with CJ Carr, I mean, you got him to commit. That was the goal. Um, I don't think his age plays a role. Um, it would be too much on CJ Carr, in my opinion, if, if Notre Dame decides to skip the 2023 quarterback and Carr stays in the 2024 class, because then you're really walking a tightrope in terms of him having to be ready right away as soon as he gets to Notre Dame. Um, and, uh, just, just uh, you'll have less quarterbacks on the roster if you, you go a class without, without recruiting one. So um, he's making the investment in helping recruit for Notre Dame. He's making official visits down in Notre Dame. Gas is is not cheap. Uh, I, I made a joke on our message board saying that CJ Carr needs an NIL deal with the gas station <laughs> to help him out with all the all the trips he's making down from uh, from Michigan to to Notre Dame. Uh, but I, I think from what, what CJ Carr is doing is a good thing. Now, I mean, we've already talked about sort of what our perspective on if him reclassifying and what Notre Dame's plan is moving forward, like what the consequences and the stakes that are due there. But I think in terms of like putting things on CJ Carr, I don't think that they're putting too many eggs in the car basket necessarily. Next question is from SJB 75 on the insider lounge, highly regarded defensive tackle. Jason Moore seems to be a Penn state Notre Dame battle. Do you agree? I'm going to let you take that one. I, I think those are his two favorites. I think Michigan is involved, and in, we just had a video where he was talking about five finalists. And right. I'll tell you, he's got he's got a pretty good poker face. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give much away. I, I the perspective that I would that was shared with me after his Notre Dame official visit, um, and that I shared with our inside ND Sports subscribers on our message board was that I that it was a Penn state Notre Dame battle. That was the perspective that the Irish had um, coming out of that visit. Um, I haven't heard anything to change that perception yet. I still think Notre Dame is in a pretty good position, but I don't, he's not, he's not someone that I would like, I guess, I guess to put it this way. I don't have a story ready for him in terms of him committing. <laughs> um, uh, so I don't, I don't know when he's going to make that decision, um, but it's not something that I think is a for sure done deal that he's coming to Notre Dame. Uh, so there's still work work to to do there, though I think that Notre Dame has a pretty good chance at, at ending up with him in the class. But it, it it does seem to be a tight battle, and I think Penn State seems to be that number two school. But um, it it can be hard to tell. I mean that uh, <laughs> you're sort of trying to read between the lines, um, and sometimes uh, there's not there's not a lot of lines to read between. Next question is from at Mike Devoy one. Are there any running backs still in the portal that Notre Dame would consider with Jadarian Price out for the year? I asked uh, Marcus point blank, both Marcus Freeman, both about wide receivers and running backs. He said, there's nothing left. Now, Lynn J. Dixon from 
West Virginia, who had been at Clemson prior, jumped in the portal in the last week. But Lynn, and, and Lynn's got some home run kind of speed. Um, he would have to, because it's a second transfer and because he missed the deadline of May 1st, he would have to sit out 2022. Um, and so uh, that he, he could apply for a waiver, but I think that the NCAA is going to be pretty stingy with those given that everybody knows what the deadline is. This is a second transfer. There was another kid uh, from Clemson recently. He went from Clemson to uh, Florida, and now he's at US, UCF, but he's he knows he has to sit out. And he jumped into the portal about the same time as Lynn J. Dixon. So there's short answer is no. It, there's not even a blue light special. Yeah, yeah, it would, would require something unexpected for that to change next question is from big asian nd 2000 on the insider lounge with regards to nil i heard some schools down south are offering nil deals via collectives to recruits of non-revenue sports such as baseball and track and field instead of scholarships the hope is that nil will cover the tuition and room and board to get the recruit to sign with the school this seems like a clever way to exceed the ncaa scholarship limit for example 11.7 in baseball I think that number's right, to build a strong roster. Do you see this type of tactic coming to college football? I don't. And and even that concept would have a short shelf life because right now the NCAA is considering uncapping scholarship limits in all sports. Now, that doesn't mean that they would stay uncapped. It would, it would go to the conferences, which uh, apparently that, Big Ten will have the most teams affected by it, but uh, it would go to the conferences to reset those caps. Um, it, it makes sense in a sport like baseball because you have like 30 guys on the team. You have 11.7 scholarships. In you know, with, with football, you have 85 scholarships. That's plenty. I mean, who are you getting that's going to be a quality – player with that 86th scholarship right uh, so i i don't see that happening and and even then you know i think kids would want the scholarship rather than the nil money because if you have the scholarship you can get the scholarship and nil money and right. it's and the scholarship is guaranteed there's some of those nil deals may not be guaranteed yeah yeah i think you're 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 getting into I mean, with the newness of NIL, it's uncharted territory. Like, what, what is the value? What is the meaning? Like, what is the merit of your NIL deal three years from now? I don't know that any of us know for sure. Obviously, you'd hope if you signed some sort of contract that you dotted your uh, I's and crossed all your T's on that. But I, I haven't heard of this, um, but I hadn't necessarily been looking for it either. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm sort of in the opinion that, like, like you said, like, there's too many guys on scholarship on a football team that why would you want to be the 87th guy on the, on the list? I mean, I guess like in theory, you could make that your number one guy, but that, that, that the number one guy, your best player should be the one that's going to make more NIL on top of his scholarship rather than right. just getting an NIL to be on scholarship. So, I mean, think about how much a Notre Dame scholarship is worth. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, they, they would put Notre Dame at a disadvantage uh, because they'd have to come up with more money to cover the, the, the tuition than, than some of the other schools. Uh, I, I just think, I mean, in baseball, I guess it makes more sense. You could be the 13th guy on the roster and, and have a very big impact on the team. Whereas like if you're the 87th guy on the football team, I mean, what are the chances that you're going to impact the team? Wouldn't you rather go to somewhere that your scholarship is guaranteed? So, um, I, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page there. Um, it's an interesting sort of concept, but I'm not, especially in the bigger sports, it doesn't seem to make a ton of, I guess probably football might be the only one that that would exist for because i don't know that there's a lot of sports that have like so many scholarships that even a number of scholarship players don't don't play still uh next question is from charles wolf at charles w wolf are there any updates on upgrading football facilities it seems like coach freeman hasn't let a perceived lack of in infrastructure infrastructure easy for me to say hold him back but it was my understanding upgrades were in the mid medium term horizon well I asked Jack Swarbrick that question last month, 
And he said, I don't want to put a timetable out there. You know, they're trying to raise money to upgrade and expand the Google Amino Athletic Complex. And I would say calling it a lack of infrastructure is way over the top. I, it's There's not a lack of in, infrastructure. What we're talking about is some facilities that would enhance football team performance and football team, I guess, convenience. You know, that Goog expansion would be more recovery area for, for injuries, for example. It would be a kitchen facility so you could and a dining facility so you could have training table without having to cater all the food in from somewhere else on campus. Um, and you would have st more study areas so that, you know, the kids could do all their tutoring and studying at the Goog and not have to go somewhere else to do that. And Notre Dame football would have its own weight room that they wouldn't have to share. The rest of the sports would share what they're using now. And so all those things are positive, but, you know, Marcus has been pretty much on record as saying he feels like the facilities are good. The, the indoor facility for football was the biggest, biggest yeah. thing, and they got that done. The other things need to get done. And again, as soon as they have the funding for it, it'll move, it'll move forward. But it's not like recruits are walking in and saying, oh, my God. You had catered food instead of a kitchen. I'm yeah. going to Clemson. Yeah, and the the pride that Notre Dame has in its indoor is sort of like on display during recruiting weekends. Like they make that a, a focal point of of the visit. Like they bring recruits in there, they bring their families in there. They'll host dinners in there, like like uh, in the evenings on, on visits and stuff like that. They'll have them hanging out in the indoor. So uh, Notre Dame really plays up the quality of its indoor facility. And it is nice. I think, I think no matter where you go in the country, there's not, there's not going to be a huge difference between Notre Dame's indoor and some of the best in the country. Um, so they, so they are that good there. Um, well, I know one thing that did was upgraded, I guess, I don't really know to the extent or how to measure that, but uh, the equipment in the, in the, in the weight room was replaced this off season. Um, I don't know the differences between what is there now, what was there. Um, that's not, something that's in my uh, knowledge base, I guess. And I haven't really asked about it, but uh, so I don't know how big of a difference that is, but it, it, it does, it looks nice for my, for my uh, untrained eye. Uh, so, I mean, that's, and, that is one newer thing. But yeah. In terms and, of the and Notre Dame will have a new playing surface in Notre Dame stadium this year. Correct. Um, but yeah, I mean, when Notre Dame has a timeline and is ready for it, they'll announce like Notre Dame isn't shy about announcing things when it's, rubber stamped and good to go. It's just not there yet. That's why there's no timeline on it. When like we knew about the indoor center, like the indoor center didn't just pop up. Like they announced, Hey, we have all the money. We're going to build this. This is like the expected timeline for it to be built. Like I would imagine once they get to that point with the Goog renovations, we will know about it because there'll be names attached to it as well that they'll want to give the credit to. Um, at least that's my assumption of how things normally go. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think the reason why this has become overstated it, it became Brian Kelly's narrative of why he left Notre Dame. Right. And I think that's overstated. I, I don't believe Brian. Um, right. I, I do think he was fighting for those things, uh, but he understood how, and again, the some of this fundraising came in the middle of a pandemic where all of a sudden everything, um, you know, shrank and you had people taking salary cuts and, and uh, hiring freezes and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think they'll get there in a, a reasonable amount of time. All right, next question. And some few questions from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Can you predict who you think will lead the team in receptions, yards rushing, all-purpose yardage, sacks, and tackles for a loss? Consider keeping track of the answers and then seeing if they change after you've been able to watch players in camp, which I think – is a good idea. And uh, if I forget to bring it up in camp, please remind us to, but I, I will do my best to try to, because uh, I think the, we could probably do make these part of place your bet prop bets uh, once we get through camp and revisit them uh, because they might not necessarily be the same. All right. First one reception. Well, well, well the cynic in me will say <laughs> Tyler will remember these if he's right. <laughs> uh, so That's right. 
So the first one is the leading receiver. Yeah, re receptions. Receptions, and I'm definitely going with Michael Mayer. Yeah, same. Uh, rushing yards. And, and if you want to be um, have fun and say, okay, besides Michael, which is the obvious answer, I'll say uh, Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, we, I, we would be in agreement there as well. Uh, so the next one is yards brushing. I'll go with based on who's on the team right now. I'll I'll say Chris Tyree. Uh, I think Logan Diggs will have a chance to kind of get play catch up, but we're still not sure exactly when he kind of re-enters the roster as a healthy player. It's going to be in September. We're just not sure when in September. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Chris Tyree as well. I, I probably would have gone with Diggs prior to his injury injury to his shoulder in the blue gold game, but because of that uncertainty of, of his timeline, now granted Chris Tyree isn't exactly the safest bet in terms of staying healthy. Um, but I guess he's the safest bet at right now for Notre Dame. Uh, next one, all purpose yards. I'm going to go with Chris Tyree. I don't think they're going to pull him from kickoff returns and you get a lot of yards from a kickoff return. I mean, even a kind of average kickoff return of 20 yards, you have to do a lot of punt returning to make that up. He's also going to catch passes. So Tyree, to me, is a logical choice. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. If I had to pick someone else, I would go Styles um, because I think he'll have good receiving yards. I think he can be used in, in sweeps and stuff like that in the running game out. It's just not going to – I don't know that the opportunities that Styles has to run the ball will be the same as the opportunities that Tyree has to catch the ball. Um, and then maybe maybe Notre Dame tries to protect Chris Tyree more because of the health of the running backs and, and puts someone like Lorenzo Styles back as a returner. I think Styles would be great at, as a returner. Now, your receiver depth chart isn't great either, so I don't know if you want to risk injury by playing Styles as a returner. Um, so we'll see how Notre Dame plays out. I mean, you might be pulling more from your cornerback depth chart or, or maybe safeties. I know Brandon Joseph was back doing some return stuff too, but I sort of would like to protect him as well if I was the safeties coach. So. Um, the return game is probably the thing that could be, I mean, not, it's not where you jump to first, but that could be pretty significantly impacted based on the depth chart health and needs of at running back and wide receiver. Uh, next one, sacks. Who will be the team leader in sacks? Well, I'm going to go with the guy that has a chance to break records, and that's Isaiah Foskey. I think he will be the leader in sacks. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. We don't. This is this isn't a good segment in terms of you trying to get us to disagree on things. Uh, and then, lastly, tackles for a loss. Well, the thing is, tackles for loss are calculated by adding the sacks into them. They don't count as right. separate things. But I'll I'll be weird and go a different direction. I'll go with the hipster answer, as Jessica <laughs> would say, and I'm going to go with Maris Leofau. Yeah, I think uh, Maris would probably be uh, a good answer. But I'll, I'll do the safe way and go with Fossey. So when we were asked five questions, I only gave three different people as answers. But um, I think, I mean, I think in terms of where the depth chart is, I think we have a pretty good idea of who the standouts are for Notre Dame. It's a matter of, like, how good is everyone else around them um, going into the season. And obviously the running back thing has been thrown into a bit of a – a loop with with the injury to Diggs and the injury to Jarrett Price. All right, next question is from uh, at the underscore Jack Attack. Will there be any one thousand yard receivers on the team besides Michael Mayer, or do you think we'll have two to three with six hundred plus? Given that Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins probably well, Joe Wilkins isn't supposed to be back till October. Avery Davis is on a similar timeline to Logan Diggs, so we call that September-ish. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say that Lorenzo Styles has a chance at that. So I'll, I'll say, yeah, Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, I, I think he is the person who has the best chance at it, but I'm not sure that he'll, he'll quite get there. I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if he reached that. I, I think we've been pretty vocal about how, uh, how much potential we think Lorenzo Styles has and right away. Um, but getting over 1,000 yards by – might even surpass my high, the high expectations I already have for him. Next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of Numbers. Who will be Notre Dame's fourth running back until Logan Diggs returns? Well, they've got 
a handful of walk-ons. I'll I'll say Chase Ketterer. That would be my yeah. my thought. Um, he's a junior, 5'11", 203 pounds. Was a high school option quarterback here locally. Um, so I'll go with Chase. Yeah, that's my answer as well. I know that's not uh, the sexy answer because I think everyone wants to know who's going to change positions. But as you've sort of covered on Inside Indy Sports, uh, the fourth running back isn't necessarily going to get a lot of carries. Um, so I don't know if it's worth moving someone from your from your other, another position just to be a, an in-case guy. Now, maybe there's someone they, tra they train and, and prepare in case of emergency and then make the switch if another running back gets just switched. But – um, I think uh, Chase Ketterer seems to be the, the, the most likely candidate of those walk-ons, which also includes Skip Velota and uh, Sam Asaf. Next question is from Brian Swint at Brian Swint. Do you think Coach Marcus Freeman will have difficulty in game day situations or developing practice protocols for the season? How much do you think Freeman will rely on Al Golden for his previous experience? I think Marcus has got the practice stuff down. Um, yes. and when I talked to him on Monday, he was putting some finishing touches on training camp practices and just um, just some of the little details. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, as far as game day operations, yeah, I think that's where it's going to be the challenge because he hasn't had to deal with the whole picture before. And we saw some of those operational things happening in the Fiesta Bowl, admittedly with, without a full staff and without a lot of um, repetitions, I guess, for lack of a better thing, lack of a better word, to kind of go over that stuff. If you remember, I mean, they were trying to save the recruiting class in December, and that was a larger priority than, you know, some of the communication issues. But, I mean, Marcus is the head coach, and he's trusting um, Tommy Reese to do a lot of things offensively. But what if Marcus doesn't want to go for it on fourth and two? You know, can he communicate that quickly and effectively to Tommy Reese? What if they wanted he wants to change direction of the offense in, in midstream of a game? Is, is that communication smooth? I think that's what they have to work on during August. And I think maybe there will be some hiccups during games. And, and, and some of it is just Marcus's just unfamiliarity with the granular part of the offense. You know, I, I don't know that he could tell you little idiosyncrasies about the second and third string uh, offensive guards. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that's where the challenge and yeah, I mean, Al Golden, one of the reasons Al Golden's on the staff is because he wants to be able to get advice from him and pick his brain, and and uh, I think that was a tremendous hire. Even if Al Golden hadn't been head coach, I think he'd be a really good defensive coordinator, but this is a bonus, having a former head coach being able to kind of walk through some of these challenges. Yeah, and, and Marcus Freeman has, has expressed a willingness and want to learn from coaches around him, um, and that's, that's from my perspective, a positive. Uh, I'm sure there will be in-game mistakes. I mean, he doesn't have the experience. I mean, Brian Kelly made plenty of mistakes, and he coached in hundreds of games, um, whereas, like, the practices, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think that'll be as big a deal. I know he sort of hit on, like, Hey, hey, what do I do in practice? Like it was weird for him to adjust personally. Like, okay, what is my role as the head coach in practice? Uh, but him and his assistants have been through been through practices. They know both as players and coaches, they know what they need to get out of practices. So I don't think that is as much of a concern to me as what, okay, what do you do in a game if you're in this situation? Do we go for it here? Do we decline this penalty? Um, do, do, we, do we get aggressive in trying to block a punt or trying to set up a return? all those things that a head coach can have a voice in. Um, how does he manage all those things and how does he communicate with those things? And how does he get on the same page with all of these coaches? Now he's coached with a number of them before, um, not necessarily in the same roles that they're in now. Uh, so that familiarity helps. Uh, so I, I think that that's where the learning curve is. And that's what you can only find out with experience and how he handles those moments. 
Next question is from Andrew Barlow at Barl Andrew. What was the ND SID waiting room like Monday after all the ND football beat reporters waited their turn with Coach Freeman? Sharks versus Jets, Danish eating contest, dead silence. I wasn't there for that, Eric, so this is all you. Well, Andrew, i sorry to disappoint you, but sports writers, we, we don't show up much before we have to, so everybody's <laughs> arrival was staggered. So there, you really didn't overlap except for the people that were right before you and right after you. So right before me was Tim O'Malley and Tim Priester from Iris Illustrated, and they were actually the first ones up. And when they came out, we were kind of happy to see each other. We shook hands and small talk a little bit, and then it was my turn to go in. And then when I got out, I had a lot of really timely information. Plus, Marcus and I were looking at Nico's house plant, you know, <laughs> little potted plant. And so the person that was after me kind of went into the office while he and I were still talking. Then I bolted, you know, down to my car so I could get home and put some stuff on our message board about injuries and player status and get those, those things up in timely fashion. So, so I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I, I will say this about our beat group. I think um, I think we all kind of looked forward to seeing each other this year because through the you know kind of icky times of the pandemic, because we're all required to be vaccinated, um, we were able to kind of live in a normal bubble when we did Notre Dame interviews and so forth, where we weren't actually able to do that in other aspects of our lives. So um, uh, there was kind of a feel good by seeing people, you know, familiar faces and not, not um, having to worry about, you know, protocols and just kind of living a normal existence. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Some of the bigger crowds that we were in at certain times during the pandemic were, were yeah. when we were finally in person with, with other reporters and, and Notre Dame staff members. So uh, yeah, there's definitely, and I think I think overall we're pretty. We, the beat gets along pretty well. There's not a lot of enemies. I mean, we're competitive in certain aspects and stuff like that. And I certainly, we all don't agree with each other's opinions or even some of the, like our decisions and sort of content styles. But I think I think for the most part uh, we get along. I mean, I have I have dinner and drinks with with people whether it's on the road when we're going to to games and stuff like that, or uh, just during the season or, or even in the off season. That I, I was just with a few people the other day. So it's a, it's a pretty, I think we're pretty, we're pretty easygoing. Um, and there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a, a lot of rivalries. I don't, I don't think on the, on the Notre Dame beat. Uh, next question is from at Mr. Joe Seiler. If you could grab beers with any current Notre Dame football coach, which one would have the best slash wildest stories to tell? Well, Dylan McCullough would, his life story is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the, from that standpoint, set that aside. I think um, Chancey Stuckey, his life outside of football. I heard him telling some of the stories while I was um, talking to Harry Heaston. I could kind of hear it in the background. I went, "Wow, this is pretty <laughs> fascinating." Um, so he had a lot of great stories. I think in terms of just pure football stories, I think he stands the guy. You know, especially with offensive linemen because they do crazy stuff. Um, and Harry, you know, isn't afraid to speak his mind. So I think he would have lots of great stories. So it just depending kind of what you were looking for. Yeah, I, I couldn't take my reporter hat off. So I went with Tommy Reese. I think he's been around for so many different things at Notre Dame that I would love to get his honest and unfiltered opinion on and some of the backstories on, I think that would be pretty entertaining, whether it's from his playing career or his coaching career. He's, he's seen a lot during his time at Notre Dame. So I, I imagine there would be a lot of interesting stories that he could uh, lend his perspective to that uh, would be fascinating to hear. Next question is from our old pal, Mike Farrell at Mike Farrell. And of course he asked a totally normal question. What's your favorite kind of whale and why? My favorite kind of whale are the kind of whales that wouldn't be afraid to eat the fake cheese at Arby's. <laughs> uh, is that all of them? You think? Do you think? Do you think there is any whales that are afraid? <laughs> I, I think that shows bravery, and I think uh, 
there are probably certain species of whales that are more um, willing to do that than other whales. Well, I spent some time on us.whales.org to prepare for this question. Um, and uh, the answer was pretty obvious for me, narwhale, narwhals, because they have the uh, spiral spiral tusks. They, they are the coolest. They are the, the unicorns of the sea. Um, and I, I think all other whales sort of have to be jealous of narwhals. So, uh, well, narwhal. they, they are mentioned in the song Rock Lobster by the B-52s. <laughs> there we go. And yeah, there you go. The B-52s know about them. So how they got to be cool. All the, all the other whales are like, why don't we have songs? I know Free Willy got his own song, but um, <laughs> not everyone, not all the whales get their own songs. Uh, and lastly, from our coworker, Kyle Kelly, what is your favorite 4th of July tradition? Um, mine would be spending time with family and cooking out. Um, I, I like the fireworks. I like the ooh and ah, but if I am not close to the fireworks, it doesn't... Um, matter but just just uh spending time with family i think is the coolest thing because usually i'm off on july 4th yeah yeah fourth of july is one of the days that we usually get to enjoy now there's tens there has been recruiting commitments on the fourth of july in the past and you're hopeful to have all that work done and it's just a matter of like hitting publish when when those announcements are made um which there will be a their name target christian gray announcing a commitment decision on july 4th um but my favorite tradition, for anyone who knows much about my hometown of Laporte, uh, the 4th of July parade is one of the things that Laporte does particularly well. It, it, it draws a good crowd and usually usually has a flyover and everything. Um, so that's a staple of, of the 4th of July that I've grown up with, um, even though I haven't necessarily always made it in recent years, but that's something I try to make it to. And then, yeah, just hanging out with friends and family, getting by a pool, drinking some beverages. Uh, I, I'm a big uh, Big fan of the 4th of July. That's, that's up there. Um, probably top five holiday for me, I would say. The, the timing is big because that's like right it's like right at the beginning of like our best downtime is, is July. Like July for, for, for football recruiting beat writers. Football recruiting and football beat writers, July is the best time to sort of catch your breath and, and get a little bit of a break. So um, we'll be doing that ourselves here coming up shortly. That's it for today's episode of the Inside MD Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a friend. We hope to record a podcast or two in July. It probably won't be the two of us together um, as we both fit in some vacation, as I sort of alluded to, um, before before we get going with camp starting in August, but we'll, we'll see what we can do, whether it's the two of us or one of us with someone else and, and we'll figure it out. But until then stick with insideindysports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>